Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vin. Hi, all you road to growth listeners. Today I have Lorna Watskin. Did I say that right? Watkinson. Watkinson. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm, my, my batting average is definitely down these days, but... Uh, so you're the founder and CEO of, of Vibrant Thinking. Um, and we're going to get into that, but I guess Vibrant Thinking, like, can you give us like a brief synopsis of kind of what you do? Uh, so I um, help organizations set themselves up for success in this new world of hybrid working um, because it's much more than just deciding where people work on different days, whether that's at home or in the office, it, it's going to take a huge, a fundamental change of how we work, which is long overdue, in my opinion. Um, so. Well, I mean, with a uh, pandemic, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, across a, a lot of different areas, a lot of communities, we've all had to kind of adapt um, and go remotely. I mean, half of my podcasts were in person, and now 99% of the time, they've been uh through a different platform. So we're all adapting somehow. Yeah, it's a, it's a different way now. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, so you're, uh, you're currently in the UK, correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So walk us through, I know a lot of your history was with Procter Gamble, but I mean, talk to us about a, a, lug, a young Lorna. I mean, what, what did that look like? A young Lorna, a young Lorna. Um, desperately wanted to be a doctor um oh. so quite different yeah. <laughs> um, and i you know and therefore you know my exam choices were all based off um getting into university to study medicine and focused on sciences therefore um and then i didn't quite get the grade in physics and realized i actually wanted to go to newcastle which is in the north of the country so opposite end to london um, and I just loved the North so much. That was where I wanted to go to university and ended up doing psychology there. Um, so I've kind of taken a bit of a winding path. Um, it all, uh, I, I kind of realized looking back, um, one of the reasons I liked science was because it gave me, allowed me a right or a wrong answer. That's what I liked about it. Whereas actually I'm more naturally creative. Um, I just wasn't confident enough in myself as as a child a teenager um so i yeah so i ended i ended up um it was one of those things where i hate to say it but my mother was right <laughs> she'd all sorry go no 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 i say yes so, well what did your mother say first or what do you want to say first i gotta get that yeah <laughs> she said she she said i um you know she said to me when i uh started at Newcastle University that she thought psychology was what I should study and I'd said don't be ridiculous I want to do microbiology and then there was a moment where I was studying cell walls um, and after the session the um, kind of lecture everybody came out so excited about cell walls um, and everyone was yabbering across the coffee table about this and I just thought oh my god this is amazing that they are so excited about it um, but this is not mine, and I want to find something that excites me as much as that, which was psychology, and therefore my mother was right. 
why do you think she she said you'd be uh, good in, in that field? Um, it's because she's so she was a or it was a counselor, um, and I think uh, that so it was part of her DNA. Um, but it's about really. Um, I think she probably could see that I was interested in people, um, kind of very empathic. Um, like I want to, I want to understand people what makes them tick. That's just my natural way. Um, Because, you know, I I find, you know, if you understand what's important to people um, and everybody has different things, then you can also um, figure out how, you know, what, how how they like to work or what kind of work will drive them and motivate them versus just giving them tasks um, and just thinking, well, this is work that needs to be done, so I'm going to give it to this person. Um, Understanding you know, that's, that some people really don't care, couldn't care less and just want to be given the task and told when they need to do it and, um, you know, what what output is needed. And somebody else who really needs to understand where it fits in. Um, so it's just it's just for me about, you know, I, I, I think I probably, for all I never actually became a psychologist as such. I use psychology on a daily basis. Do you think you said the reason why you went um, into the first field was based off of confidence because you needed either yes or no? Do you think if you had more confidence to or back then that you would have done a different field, or in what field would that have been? I yeah, so I definitely I would not have done the three sciences as an A levels for for I I would have um, I mean I. I think I would have probably been doing something in English <laughs> and writing stories, yeah. um, you know, using m- more my creativity um, that I realize I have quite a lot of. Um, but yeah, I probably would have done English and been wanting to, I mean, you know, again, as a seven-year-old, my story, I would write stories and they would be the ones that were read out at parents' evening. But by 11, I was like, I don't like English. I like maths and science. You know. <laughs> so, com- I mean, confidence, I think, is a big thing, I think, for, for a lot of people. I mean, knowing that you can do it, knowing you can push forward. And you were with Procter & Gamble for 17 years in yeah. the media aspect of it. You would think, I mean, I would think that has to have some confidence because you're in front of media outlets, putting things out there, and then starting your own company. Again, that's, well, it's two companies. Um, and then from there, you'd have to have some confidence to go on your own. What do you think that transition from someone that didn't have confidence to someone that does have confidence today, kind of where'd that come from? So I would actually say, I don't, I don't, I don't consider myself as, as having confidence. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think, uh, so I think when it comes, so working at Procter & Gamble, I mean, oh my God, do you need to have confidence at times to stand up? Um, I mean, I, I would, I would say that the by far and away the most difficult audience to present to are brand managers at Procter and Gamble. I mean, I will quite happily go and walk into a room full of CEOs these days and present to them because I know that they will be nothing like brand managers at PNG. Um, I think what I learned at PNG was about um, having if you un- know having enough knowledge in your specialist subjects because essentially uh, media, was um you know we were an expert department 
that brand people relied on. And, and therefore, as you know, as long as I was absolutely certain that I knew my topics inside out, it didn't, I could go in there and be confident because I, I knew I could field any question. And when it then comes on to kind of starting your own business, um, I mean, I know that I've got friends who said for years that they wanted to start a business and I could never see the kind of appeal of it, if I'm honest, until I um, found myself sitting on a weekend course uh, to learn how to do pottery painting as a business, which I'd gone on to just explore opportunities to see what there was out there if I wasn't working at Procter & Gamble. I kind of knew I had to make a change. My daughter was three, four at the time. She needed to see more of me. Um, and, at, and at that point, I experienced and understood how powerful pottery painting could be in terms of taking you to a very different thinking space and being able to think outside the box, think very creatively, come up with solutions. Um, because in that two days, not only did I learn about how to run the business, um, I also created my business in that time. So it was up and running a week later. Mm. Um, and it was all about um, kind of finding something that had purpose. And for me, it was like a there wasn't actually a choice. It became a, I know I'm unhappy at Procter & Gamble. And I have now found something that drives me um, that I can feel is going to get me out of bed, excited to start the day. Um, and therefore, it wasn't it wasn't something that needed confidence. It was just an obvious step to make. Um, and I, you know, I knew there were times at Procter & Gamble and I'd also felt that way of like how amazing work can be. Um, so it was all about finding something that could offer that more of the time so basically something that would offer i guess uh enjoyment something that would make you jump out of the bed yeah uh, it, it's, it's about it's about um your why i think more yeah. more this is about really like what drives you what to, so that when you when you come across challenges and people that, that say you can't do this or that's not possible that you're you like no no, no i know it i know it is possible i know that there's a hurdle that we have to jump, but we're going to get through it and that you figure out ways around it without missing a beat um, compared to, I think, you know, the times when I was just doing a job at P&G, you know, the, and there were times where it, it was like that, um, that, you know, you kind of go, oh, it's not worth it. But if you if you really believe in something and you think it's so important to get it out there, and my thing for the pottery painting was, oh my goodness, I have to share this with as many people as possible. And it started off being, you know, the first business was about hands and footprints for um, babies, um, which in the Northeast was hadn't really happened at that point. Um, but my first thing was like, I've got to get this out to as many people as possible. And then the next step was like, no, I, I always knew I wanted to take it into corporate. But then when the time was right, it was like, I know what a powerful tool this is. And um, it's, I, I could, nothing was going to stop me <laughs> taking it to the businesses. And the world kind of keeps catching up with my thinking, I'm finding. Um, 
so again when i first started the business well-being wasn't really a word whereas obviously now in the last 10 years it's become a big thing and then also with hybrid working where 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 did that that i need to tell everyone about this come from because I mean, I think there's two ways that people live their life, either going away from pain or going towards pleasure, right? And you had a thing of going towards pleasure, yet it had to be such a big moment, I guess, to to say, I need to tell this out there, a, a big experience for yourself to, to realize that that pleasure of giving that to other people is going to drive you. I You see, again, I mean, I don't, I don't, remember it as being such a huge um i mean i think i think probably i had had a journey with with png um and certainly the last year or so i was i knew that the way the company was changing and the way that an our role the media role globally was changing um and i couldn't see how I could add value and that's actually been very important to me throughout my career is like how do I add value mm. um, when I can see and understand and feel that again that's when I feel like I'm on top of the world um, and can do anything and I knew that the changes that were happening kind of didn't fit with with my strengths I guess and that so, so I was kind of moving away from pain as well if that yeah. makes sense Oh, it makes sense. I mean, do you think then, and this is a question I've, I've asked a decent amount of entrepreneurs I've had on the podcast, do you think there's anything that your management at Procter & Gamble could have done to kept you there and make you happy to be, be a lifer there at Procter & Gamble? I think that's a, a very interesting question. So I, you know, when I first left P&G, um, I described myself as pretty bent and broken. Yeah. Um, and, and it took me, I divorced in the same, in within four months of each other, I'd left P&G and I divorced. I got over the divorce very quickly. It took me several years to get over P&G because um, wow. I, felt, I felt very um, angry um, because I, I felt, uh, because I think I blamed um, the, the changes that they were making that, you know, somehow um that that meant I wasn't that I I wasn't good enough I didn't have I didn't have perspective mm. which I do now and what I see is that when I look back now I would say yes there are probably things that the the company could have done um to keep me but I think more importantly there are things that I could have done um so you know I I didn't um talk openly um to uh, my management about how i was viewing things and part of that was because i saw my director as a nemesis i thought she didn't value me um she's now uh, a kind of a mentor um, and she knows that i used to view her as a nemesis <laughs> um but i i was part of the problem the way that i viewed things the how defensive i was in certain situations, I was part of the problem. And as soon as I saw that and realized that, I also saw that I could be part of the solution. But it was at that point, things had moved on and I'd left and that's fine. I don't regret that. Um, but if 
I would definitely do things differently knowing what I know now. So let's say that you're you're the manager of someone that's in your spot or where or, or you were before. And yes, you, old you, might have been the problem, one of the problems. But do you think there's anything that the manager or something that if you were in that situation today could do to allow them to feel comfortable to actually speak out? I, yeah, I think it's all about um, talking to people, um, talking as a human, not as a manager or a boss, um, but just um, having and not necessarily saying, let's sit down and have a meeting, let's have a one to one, but having lots of, of, of regular touching base with somebody um, that just allows them to, to share how they're feeling right now in just little snippets, which people may feel more comfortable about um, and getting a, a kind of picture um, and understanding somebody. It's about having empathy um, and being human for me. So it, it, if I mean, anyone listening right now that maybe has a uh, subordinate or people underneath them, I mean, just having that ability to like, dialogue, what I mean, and I know we're kind of we're, we're leaning in a direction and I'd love your perspective on it. How do you define those roles where you're the manager and also so you're kind of telling them what to do, but also you're allowing them a level that they can actually be open and honest and not feel like they're going to get reprimanded if they can tell you something? I think um, so that is a that's something so all of these things are not anything that happens overnight so if you don't have this relationship right now it is going to take time um, and it's about um, so from the work side it's about giving people ownership and trusting them so it's about um, saying saying you know giving them the project being very clear about the expectations of outcomes and the timings um, and measuring the outcomes rather than the activity that happens in between and not sitting on somebody's shoulder, all of which are implying if you are sitting on somebody's shoulder or constantly asking for updates, they're all implying that you don't trust somebody. And the most important thing to build here is the trust, because when you have trust, that then allows, that then automatically starts to allow those conversations to happen where somebody feels that it's okay, it's going to be okay to talk to this person about something they might be struggling with. Um, but it, it's, you, it's something that takes time to put in place um, and you have to be in it for the long term, not just to tick a box. Makes sense. Um, so back to your journey. So you're at Procter Gamble. You're transitioning over to this company, and you you go, okay. I need to tell everyone about this pottery company. How did how did that transition come? And then what what brought you from there to vibrant thinking? <laughs> um, well, I think I think also I think the very interesting thing is I left Procter and Gamble, and I I feel like all of my knowledge fell out of my head. <laughs> and I started again I mean essentially I kind of took the view of like well everything I've learned from Procter and Gamble is irrelevant because they had millions of pounds worth of or dollars um, of budget you know for, for for their advertising their marketing and I have you know a few hundred um, but kind of 
after the first year, I suddenly realized that actually everything I'd learned at Procter & Gamble was so critical to um, getting my business known out there to be very clear about just focusing on one thing and one message at a time. So, and um, in terms of then going to vibrant thinking, moving to vibrant thinking, um, for me, it was about the fact I felt like I'd, I'd achieved success with my first business. I felt like I'd learned everything I had could about a business from starting that from scratch. And I still do bits and pieces for that for that business. But essentially, I was then like, okay, now I want to start the real thing. Now, I, this is now about making a massive difference to the working world. Because my, you know, if I was my, what I'd like my legacy to be in 100 years time, say, is that um, I was part of um, making work something that you get energy from rather than it being somewhere that you just a drained it's a draining place um and that's you know so that's so what i do is is really all focused on changing work so it can be that kind of place and you know stopping a million back-to-back -back zoom meetings and that side of things when when did um the idea of vibrant thinking come about i think i'd had so i'd had it in my head since the very beginning when i um but it got um got more focused probably about five years ago that I started to think this, this, I think there might be some legs here with, um, with the fact that well-being had come on the agenda. People were, were actually acknowledging the fact that, um, it was important that, that people's well-being was looked at, looked after. Um, and that, that started me thinking it's not, it's not actually then where I ended up because, I, I kind of took it more in the direction of it's it's using it for team building. So using pottery painting um, either for getting to know teams better, individuals within your team better, or um, to really solve problems that you never had time to address in the working day, but that you knew um, was stopping you work, working as a team at your best. So kind of when there have been um, big structural rechanges and everyone just gets on with delivering the day-to-day -day, but actually always coming up against the same frustrations with the changes that have happened so just taking a couple of hours out um, and looking at that using pottery painting to get you into this different thinking space away from work barriers down really helps the the lateral thinking um, and you get amazing solutions from your team who are then completely bought into those solutions and keen to um, implement them versus, you know, you as a manager trying to implement things or impose solutions on people. You, so the, the, the core of, of your business, um, creative thinking is about the leverage of the hybrid um, work, right? Where you're having it online in person. Yeah. So it's, it, well, so what, how did, when, because we, in the UK, right, things started closing down at the beginning of last year? Or, yeah. Yeah, beginning of, yeah. So when that started happening, what happened to you? What was, what was going on with your company? So at that point, um, the, the focus of it was, um, 
I, I was very much about going into offices um, and working with teams in the office face to face, um, running my workshops. So the first thing obviously that happened was, well, nobody was going into the office, so that wasn't going to happen. Um, and every business was in crisis mode, not surprisingly, to just to figure out how on earth they were going to deliver business in this new world of, of um, online remote only. Um, and, you know, departments that had been told they could never work from home because it was impossible suddenly figured out how to do it in two weeks flat. It was incredible, the innovation that happened. Um, so my so what I've so what I then focused in for my business was like, okay, so how how can I use um, the core of my business, which is about getting people to think differently? How can I use that to help businesses who are now going to be looking at a situation in the future um, of some people, you know, having proven that the impossible is actually possible? Nobody's going to go back to the working how they did originally. Um, but how are you going to manage that hybrid situation that actually nobody knows what the right answer is because we haven't done it yet? Um, yeah. So my it's about, you know, using my skill um, to get innovation out of people um, and, to, and to use it to create a bespoke approach for your organization for hybrid thing, for hybrid working. Um, and it's for me, it's all about starting with the who. So your understanding what your organization wants. So how was that conversation? Look, because on one side, right, you people are going remote because they have to, right? There's a pandemic and you have to go remote. Yet on another side is people are going remote. They're probably losing a little business and they're probably not looking to add on extra cost. Right. So it's they need you now, yet maybe they don't have the funds or some of them don't have the funds to pay for your services. So how did that conversation go to show your worth that you're going to they're going to get more out of you than they're going to put into you? So the um, converse, so the conversations that I have been having, it's very much. Um, it's certain types of companies that see this as a. Um, critical kind of um flex point that it's that they that they see the importance um of moving to hybrid working and that it's and that you know they're very much seeing it as the benefits to the company's point of view let's be clear here that they're seeing it as like this actually is a way where i can improve productivity if i get it right and at the same time improve my employee engagement all of which means that i'm going to um lose you know, I keep my people. Um, and there are not many of them around. I need to, so there are, there are a lot of people that see this as a necessary evil. Um, and I will be honest that that, at, the, at that point, they, you know, nobody wants to talk or invest um, in what I offer because why would they? As you say, they don't, they have, they have limited funds as it is. Um, so I am very much uh, some bits, I see myself as, more a trailblazer um so it's it's smaller companies that are seeing this as an opportunity versus some of the bigger companies that perhaps see it as a as i said a necessary evil something to accept 
Now, building this company, I mean, especially during a, a, a pandemic, what do you think? I mean, has some, have been some of the biggest struggles of, of kind of expansion and growth for yourself? For myself? Well, so yourself uh, or the company, yeah, either way. Yeah, I, I mean, um, so for myself, it's it was like it's suddenly um, needing um, more resources than just me. <laughs> Um, and finding and and you know on the positive side of that is the way the world's changed and the fact that actually um, it doesn't have to be somebody sitting next to me in the UK um, actually being able to get the right people um, for that I need for the support. Um, I think I mean the other challenge for me is as well is about um, marketing myself um, and inevitably you know some of that means spending money. Um, and, 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 you know, certainly initially, you know, when people were in crisis mode, you know, I lost my income at that point. So kind of that was, that was difficult and scary. Um, but then, then as people have come out of that mode, um, then that's, that's been less of an issue. Um, and I think for, for my, for the clients, I think, the biggest challenge is really actually being able to take a step back um, to be able to look at the, look at this as a bigger picture and not go down what I call what if rabbit holes. So often clients start from the, you know, I do see, you know, I, I, I totally see hybrid working as a, as a benefit. And this is something that I really want to keep for my, you know, I, I want to put in place for my organization, but and then give me a whole long list of what ifs. What if people uh, aren't working when they're at home? What if uh, they don't make, uh, you know, don't come into the office for a meeting when somebody else does makes the effort? Um, you know, what if everybody wants to work Tuesday to Thursday in the office, but Monday to Friday at home? I can't say make any savings on the on the office space, but equally two days a week it's empty, and and it's the you know you can you can get stuck forever down those what if rabbit holes because um you're starting at the how rather than taking a step back um and looking at looking at it i you know i see it very much as a as a who what how framework that you need to start with the who and understanding them which is your organization and then then the what what is it that you want your actually your vision is for hybrid working before you get to the how because you'll find a lot of the answers in the who and the what Now, the, the person that didn't have confidence and now learning how to get their face name out there, is, is that still because of the why with this company? I know with your last company, it was the why, getting the message. Is that still the driving force for, for yeah. Vibrant Thinking? Okay. More, even more so for Vibrant Thinking, yeah. I mean, this is. I feel like I've hit my groove totally. <laughs> um, and, you know, well, my daughter will tell you that I never talk or think about anything else <laughs> she just rolls her eyes at me most of the time it, it has there been moments where maybe in front of a big stage or something where it's very i mean maybe scary or daunting but where you have to kind of think back on that why or is it just kind of a constant thing of this is what i'm doing this is what i'm doing this is what i'm doing it is so for me it's a constant thing so i mean i still i still struggle with um writing posts on linkedin um, no, I mean, ridiculously small things that really shouldn't bother me. But, you know, sometimes 
you know, I want, I'm, I want to say something and then I have, you know, like, well, what, again, I go into a what if rabbit hole. What if somebody doesn't like it or disagrees with it? Um, and I've got, and I have, you know, I've got much better at just um, kind of listening to the voice, accepting it, but then just pressing enter and not rewriting it, you know. Um, but I think it happened, you know, I think every day I have to remind myself why. And I have posters, you know, I'm looking around here at things that remind me why I am doing this. Um, and because, you know, nothing is ever easy. I mean, the, the, there was a, one of my first interviews that I went on and I had a, a person that commented on it and was just saying, blah, 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 just tell me how horrible it was and everything. And someone told me, they go, you know what, if you don't at least have one of those critics out there, you're probably not on enough platforms. I'm like, well, fair enough. Well, I, yeah, that, that is what I tell myself. <laughs> <laughs> so if we're talking, let's say in five years from now, where are you going to be and where is Viber Think going to be? So uh, so in five years, I will still be here in the UK in the north of England because I wouldn't be anywhere else. Uh, but Vibrant Thinking will be um, a global company um, helping businesses all over the world. Um, and it will be the undisputed expert in hybrid working. Do you and you said it before with one of your conversations with one of your clients where they said, OK, well, what if some people want to work from home Tuesdays and Thursdays and or work home from Monday, Wednesday and Friday and then Tuesday and Thursday in the office? Do you see I mean, what is there an ideal time frame at the office at home has 50 percent? I think I, so. I think this is where the difficult where the is, it is challenging because the reality is, is it will depend on each individual. Um, as to, to what they want to do. There won't be a, a you know, um, a, a perfect one size fits all. Um, and, you know, whether, you know, if you're young and just starting out in your career, you'll probably want to go into the office five days a week just because you, you just enjoy being with people. Um, and, you know, there will be some people who actually never want to go into an office again because they they just love working on their own and they don't need the interaction. Um, and they will be just as productive because it's they, you know, they're the people who used to go into a huddle room to do their work when they were in the office because they found everything else too noisy. Um, and then there will be, um, you know, pe people all the way in between who sometimes actually want to go into the office every day that week, but actually the following week maybe want to stay at home a couple of days just because that means that they don't that they're not going to be rushing to be at. Um, I don't know, their, you know, it could be their children's sports day or their mother's um, special birthday celebrations, whatever it may be. Um, it's just like if they don't have to commute, that just takes the stress off them. So working from home on that day makes sense. Um, but I think I think it's um, I think that that work has been a static model for decades now of Monday to Friday, nine to five in the office. And that was a, that was a one size fits all, everybody does it. You know, recently, yes, we were getting the occasional flexible working around the edges, but it was very much um, that if you got that, then you should be grateful. Whereas this has turned it all in on its head and said, you don't actually need to have 
have this kind of really rigid structure, you know, it is possible to do it differently. Um, so I, what I would hate to see is us swapping one rigid, one rigid structure for five days a week to another rigid structure of a different number of days a week, because I don't see that that works any better. So basically allowing the flexibility uh, for your client or for your employees to make a decision and have faith that if they are working from home or if they are working at the office, they're going to do the same amount of work. Yeah, and I and I think it's not just about it's not just about having faith. You do you need to know um, that they are doing the work, but the way to measure it is to be very clear about expectations and out and and what output is going to be measured, so that you are, so that the individuals also know like this is what I have to deliver, and it you know it's it's my responsibility to make sure that that happens. You know I get to choose how I deliver it in terms of where I'm sitting, but. I, you know, ultimately, they still have to deliver the work. And if somebody isn't, you know, I, you know, working from home should never be used as a somehow skiving reason not to do work. Um, it, it should be about, it just makes my life so much easier that actually I can focus 100% on work when I'm doing work. One last question, last question right here. If you could talk to that younger woman that was just starting at Procter & Gamble, is there any advice you would give her? Oh, God, yes. I would say um, just do it. Just just don't, don't overthink it. Just do it. What you, you know, your gut feel is generally right. And do you know what? Even if it's not, it doesn't matter. You know, um, getting it, it's not about getting it perfect first time, it's more important to move forward and make progress than to sit back and do nothing waiting for that, that for it to be perfected. Love it. Well, thank you, Lauren, for being here. Hopefully everyone listening got some great nuggets uh, from Lorna. I mean, we're in a, a time where we're trying to transition in the office back. I know in, in San Diego, California, the United States, we're opening up, uh, up in uh, June and people in the offices, getting back in there, but there's still, like you're saying, that hybrid of working online in office. So yeah, hopefully everyone listening got some great nuggets. Follow Lorna, uh, follow her platforms. Is the best way through LinkedIn or what's the best platform or way to follow your? Yeah, it's LinkedIn. I should just say it's Lorna Helps on LinkedIn, which is my maiden name. I'm in the process of changing everything. So it's Lorna Helps, yeah. Oh, so that that is your 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 main name. I, I thought it was like a, a tagline. Lorna helps. Like, don't worry, Lorna helps. Yeah, no, it's a real name, <laughs> and I've just realised it's a great marketing ploy as well. Thank you for listening to the Road to Growth: Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.theenriquezgroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group signing off.